G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast, a Friday morning edition of the pod coming at you. Nice little quick hitter before we dive into another intriguing weekend of sport. Uh, obviously, everyone is excited to watch the AFL Grand Final, that is really the biggest sporting event on the agenda heading into this weekend, but... There's actually plenty happening around the globe. There's a little bit of basketball stuff I'm going to touch on, a little bit of NFL stuff as well. The Browns and Steelers are currently in action as I speak, and I think Cleveland's going to get the win there. But there's a little bit of stuff from uh, plenty of different sporting associations that I want to get to. So let's not waste any time and dive into today's episode. First item on the agenda, I want to briefly talk about this controversy surrounding the Hawthorne Football Club. Now, all these allegations have been pretty publicly uh, made aware of, the public is now aware of them over the last 48, 72 hours. Uh, the story came out and accused Chris Fagan and Alastair Clarkson and a few others at the club basically of mishandling and mistreating a lot of First Nations people and a lot of draftees that were coming to the club, trying to separate them from their families. There was one quote that has stuck out quite a bit about Clarkson declaring to a, a draftee around the time of their three-peat, the 2014-15 window, that uh, he wanted him to kill his unborn child or have an abortion and push for his partner to split with him. So some pretty serious and hefty allegations. And obviously, all of these things at the moment are just allegations and the people who are being accused of these things are innocent until proven guilty. So I don't want to, you know, come at them with a pitchfork, but there's some pretty damning shit that's being said about these Hawthorne uh, personnel who were previously at the club. And I think if there is any form of truth to these allegations, it's fair to assume that Chris Fagan and Alastair Clarkson are done in the AFL. I can't see a scenario where either of them coach again. And to be honest, even though they both, step down temporarily while these uh, investigations are going on. I don't think they'll be coaching in 2023 at this stage. The people that I really feel for obviously are the first nations and the indigenous people. I mean, if you watched Eddie Betts talk about it on Fox footy the other day, your heart kind of broke for the bloke and there was no reason for him to say anything or really comment on it. Cause he obviously wasn't involved, but he just publicly stated that there's no reason why these blokes would be making up these allegations and there's no reason why he wouldn't believe them after all the racism that he's dealt with in his life. So it's been pretty alarming over the last few days to see some of the people go into bat for the people that the allegations are being thrown against. And I mean, like I said, they're not guilty yet, but I think we've really got to think from a broader spectrum about the racist issues that we've got, not only in footy, but in Australia. And it's pretty sickening. I've got a lot of faith that, you know, we've taken big strides from a racist standpoint and trying to create an equal country in Australia, but for, you know, treasured icons of football and an Australian champion like champion, like Eddie Betts to come out and say, he still doesn't really feel safe in his own country and welcome after all the shit that he's gone through and continues to deal with. Then it does make me really upset and really sad. So hopefully, you know, this story is not going away. It may be the biggest story in football for the 21st century, if these things prove to be true. So I guess over the coming weeks and months and years, we'll find out what these allegations hold. But yeah, spare a thought for all the people and the families who were affected if these stories do come to fruition that it is true. 
All right, on a lighter note, let's dive into a bit of NFL headline action. So week three, like I mentioned, is underway. The Cleveland Browns are playing host to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, as the game progresses, it looks like Pittsburgh was going to keep up with Cleveland. But I don't specifically want to talk about the Thursday night showdown. I want to turn my attention more to some of the intriguing games in week three. The first one I want to discuss is the Detroit Lions and the Minnesota Vikings. So those two sides obviously have had indifferent starts to the year. The Vikings kind of got embarrassed at home last time out on a Monday night scene, but I do think they can bounce back. I don't know if they're going to, because to be honest, I'm really intrigued to see what Detroit has got. Amanra St. Brown has got off to a ripper start in the year. And Dan Campbell, when he came in last year, even though the Lions did lose a big chunk of games, it felt like he had the right building blocks in place and he was doing the correct things to potentially build a long-term winner. So I do have honest faith that Detroit can go into Minnesota and get the win, which would be huge for Detroit, a team that has struggled quite a bit in recent years. That's no surprise, but Minnesota, obviously with the Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson connection, maybe they'll be able to put a ton of points on the board. And that game in the early slate might be the pick of the bunch for me. I know a lot of people want to see what Buffalo's got against Miami, but I think the Bills are a little bit of a cut above the rest of the AFC teams at the moment. Uh, So yeah, I'm intrigued to see what Detroit and Minnesota holds. Another AFC matchup between Las Vegas and Tennessee. Both teams are 0-2, and with Vegas going into Tennessee, you feel like the loser of this game can almost draw a line through their season. I know we're only at week three, so I don't want to you know, jump to hyperbole and say that one team's year is done, but fuck, 0-3 is a tough hole to try and dig yourselves out of. And Tennessee, the number one seed a year ago, they haven't looked like themselves through this campaign yet. And Derek Henry hasn't exactly been his uh, bullocking best either. So fantasy managers will be a bit disappointed with his output. And you could say somewhat of a similar thing from the Vegas side. I saw that when Devontae Adams went to join Las Vegas in the off season, there was a lot being made about him reuniting with his college quarterback in Derek Carr. And while they have looked solid and they've done some good things throughout the year, they're still yet to record their first dub. So that's a crucial game for both sides. And I think, gun to my head. I side with Tennessee purely because they're at home, but I wouldn't be shocked if the Raiders went into Tennessee and won that game as well. So huge ramifications from that matchup. The last one I want to discuss is the nightcap, the 8.20 game, uh, 8.20 AM for those uh, playing along at home from Australia, Uh, San Francisco versus the Denver Broncos. Now, similarly, Denver finds themselves in an 0-2 hole at the moment. And after Trey Lance went down with a season ending ankle injury, there's been a lot of support and a lot of belief thrown around the 49ers now that they've got Jimmy G under center. And could you imagine if they had have eventually traded him prior to the season starting and they found themselves in this hole right now, they would be pretty spewing, but they go into Denver with Jimmy G and a team that looks like a playoff team in a pretty strong conference in the NFC. But I do wonder if backs against the wall, if this is where we see Russ Wilson start to lead the Broncos on a charge. They're in a hugely tough division. Obviously, the AFC West may be the best on-paper division in football, especially if you just look at the quarterbacks. But it's a, I don't want to say a must-win, but it's a near-must-win for Denver. You don't want to fall into an 0-3 hole. And Nathaniel Hackett, to start his NFL career, hasn't exactly looked like a world-beater. So he really needs to get a dub for his and the team's confidence. I'm going to be very intrigued to see the outcome of that game. I think the Niners are going to go into Denver and win, but I wouldn't be shocked 
if I open up my app and see that uh, Russ Wilson has led the Broncos to a win with four touchdown passes or something of the sort, and he's going to need to connect with Cortland Sutton and the likes of Jerry Judy and get a big game out of the backfield partners in Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams if the Broncos are going to survive. So rip a week three slate. There are a couple of other intriguing games, but those are the ones that I'll have my eyes on the most as week three action gets underway. I know the AFL fantasy coaches are probably done and dusted with a year. There's not too many people who will be opening up their app or planning their 2023 moves, but with the AFL season set to conclude following tomorrow's AFL grand final, I dropped my article with the AFL fantasy team of the year, a little bit later than usual, but I'll be plugging away slowly working on it throughout the off season of the AFL fantasy uh, off season rather. So uh, like I said, articles out, I'll post the link in this podcast and you can check that out. But, There was 30 blokes who made the team of the year because obviously there's 30 spots, including the bench in your AFL fantasy sides. And it was pretty tricky to try and decipher between a couple of players, whether they were going to get a squad on the bench, a spot on the bench, whether they were going to be on the field, whether they were going to miss the cut entirely. I found one of the trickiest spots to pick between was the M1 and M2 spot. I think Rory Laird and Angus Brayshaw, Andrew Brayshaw rather, showed that they were the two best fantasy players this season. There wasn't a huge gap in total points scored between Callum Mills and Andy Brayshaw, but I think he announced himself, uh, the Dockers Brayshaw, as you know a true star of the competition and a fantasy jet. But Roy Laird's year, even though he only played 20 games, was still epic as well. He scored 1,600s in those 20 games, and he only finished about 70 or 65 points short of Brayshaw despite playing two less games. So I gave Roy Laird the nod in the end and put him in M1. Uh, Doherty, no surprise, he was the best defender. Josh Dunkley took out the title as the best forward. And then Max Gorn was named as the best ruck. Although I don't think that will uh, stay that way in 2023 if Brody Grundy joins the cause. And the fantasy rucks next year are going to be something that is going to be a very popular talking point. Uh, guys on the bench include Jack McRae, Brad Crouch, Bont, Timmy English, and then the unfortunate ones who just missed the cut but earned an honourable mention include Isaac Heaney. He's a bloke who I've had my doubts on for years, but started the year really well and finished with an average near the 90 mark, uh, nearly scored 2,000 total points. So if you picked him from the start of the year, you wouldn't have been too unhappy. George Hewitt as well, another bloke who battled injury but still contributed quite heavily. Uh, Jared Witts proved to be a pretty unique ruck selection. And if you had have had him in your side, then you wouldn't have been disappointed with his output in 2022. And there's a couple of others. I'm not going to go through the entire article, but yeah, I thought with the year winding down from a footy perspective, we'd better reward the blokes that did uh, fantasy coaches proud in 2022. All right. Fourth item on the agenda. This is kind of a double hitter. Cause I want to start by talking about Robert Sava selling the Phoenix Suns. Now the Suns owner has obviously been in the news for the last week or two with the NBA handing down a one year, suspension and a $10 million fine to him just last week. Uh, There was an outcry after that came from fans, players, media members saying that the punishment wasn't harsh enough. Basically there was a big investigation into how Sava ran things at the Phoenix Suns. And there was multiple occasions where he used the N word when talking about statements of other people, he made a lot of female employees uncomfortable with inappropriate and sex related comments. And just sounds like the bloke is a bit of a fucking sleazeball if you ask me. So when this suspension came out, people thought he was obviously going to miss a year, but then kind of come back into the fray. And a lot of players, including the likes of LeBron and Chris Paul, weren't too happy to see that. So 
I, for them, was pretty happy to then see that only a few days ago, Robert Sava came out and said he was beginning the process to sell both the Phoenix Suns and the WNBA affiliate Phoenix Mercury. So still a long way to go. And this bloke is still obviously in the league, but hopefully this is the start of the league getting rid of Robert Sava once and for all. The bloke's had, you know, a couple of chances and it seems like he's a bit of a sleazeball. So I think I'll be quite content to see him get out of the NBA. Another popular NBA figure in uh, Ima Udoka, Boston Celtics coach. He's found himself in hot water as well after violating team policies. Now, there was a bit of rumor about what was going on, but it seems like he had an intimate relationship with a female member from the franchise. He's obviously got a partner himself, and I'm led to believe that the female member was married as well. So a lot of Boston people uh, in that franchise aren't too happy with the way that Udoka went about his business. And it looks like he's going to be suspended for the entire 2022-23 season as a result. So I don't want to discuss too much about what happened and the ramifications for Udoka, but from a Boston Celtics standpoint, you've got to think that that's going to affect their output next season. They just made the finals. And I think Joe Mazzulla is going to be the interim head coach. He was an assistant last year. So their top assistant in Will Hardy left to obviously become the Utah jazz coach. So I don't think we'll see Brad Stevens uh, come out of the front office and step onto the sidelines to help him out. But I think this will affect the Celtics chemistry a little bit. Udoka was a really driving force behind them galvanizing in the new year and going on the uh, stretch that they did to make the NBA finals. So I don't know how much will affect them. I still expect Boston to be one of the top four teams in the East, but it's bound to have some effect and I do think that without Udoka on the sideline, we could see the Celtics not underachieve, but I'd be surprised if they went back to the finals. And to be honest, I'd be surprised if they repeated as Eastern Conference champions. They may make the Eastern Conference finals, but there's teams in the East that I've got a bit more faith in. And with this news that Udoka is not going to be on the sidelines, I've now got a bit more faith in other teams around the Celtics uh, out playing them and getting further than them when the season gets to the pointy bit. Rightio, the last item on the agenda. Let's discuss the AFL Grand Final. Now, JLo and I talked about this on Tuesday on our Big Ripper pod. And I think I didn't bury the lead, but I didn't go into it talking about it as much as I probably want to. I kind of yo-yoed between which team I want to win and which team I think is going to win. I think a lot of people would like to see the underdog Swans win, but... There's also some people that want to see Patrick Dangerfield get a flag and some other Geelong players who have missed out, the likes of Gary Rowan, et cetera. So I kind of feel myself divided. And I think regardless, we're in for a fucking wicked match. We're in for a cracker. I think the two best teams this year are playing in it. Melbourne were obviously right up there throughout the year, but they had their lulls in form. So I think we do have two clear tacticians in uh, Chris Scott and John Longmire going at it. We've probably, like I said, got the two best teams as well. Two teams that are riding seriously long winning streaks. So hopefully that lives up to the hype and we do get ourselves an unreal grand final. I think there's a couple of key matchups that'll shape this match. Obviously, Sam DeConing playing on Buddy. You don't often see big key forwards rip open grand final stages. But if Sam DeConing, his confidence gets down and he dips a little bit early in the game, we may see Lance Franklin rip the game apart and have, you know, a stretch where he kicks three snags in a quarter or something of the sort. But I don't know. I think Geelong's backline as a whole will, will do a good job of shutting down, buddy. And it's going to be really tough to see which team comes out firing and manages to put points on the board. I think if uh, Ryan Clark doesn't go to Tom Stewart, which has been the popular 
uh, talking point all week, then we could see Tom Stewart put in a Norm Smith medal winning performance. And I think the Swans would be dumb to not tag him. So surely Longmire sends some attention to him, maybe if it's not even Clark. But I expect the Swans to probably be up at half time. I know that that Geelong is obviously a great defensive unit and they've been scoring in bunches and they embarrassed Brisbane in the prelim. But I wouldn't be shocked if we see Sydney get the better start, if that makes sense. And then some people have said it's Geelong's flag to lose. And if they do come in with a ripper second half, like I said, I expect the Swans to have an early lead and they could steamroll them. But I think I'm going to pick Sydney for the win. I'm tipping them by eight points. And like I said, I've yo-yoed all week, but that's what I'm sticking with. And I think Errol Goulden as first goal scorer at a Norm Smith Smokey, 41 bucks he's paying is a cheeky little splash for mine. Jake Lloyd could probably fit that bill as well. If uh, the ball is spent a lot of time down in Geelong's forward line, Jack Lloyd could help himself to a lot of touches as well. So we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully, like I said, it lives up to the billing. But yeah, the Swans by eight points. If you're listening to this oh, just over 24 hours time, grand final result, you will know. And yeah, I think that we should see the Sydney Swans win a premiership for the first time since 2012. That's it. Quick fire pod. Like I said, couple of short things that I wanted to talk about. And yeah, I think the grand final is obviously the biggest talking point. JLo and I next week, we'll sit down and we'll obviously recap that talk through a couple of other footy things as we get into what should be a very intriguing off season for fantasy and uh, AFL enthusiasts alike. Uh, plenty of NFL things to unpack as well. Big week three slate. Hopefully the fantasy managers out there have their uh, ducks in a row and they've got their lineup set, but yeah, the grand final will take a lot of, uh, attention off anything else this weekend. So good luck to the cats and swans. Hopefully we get a ripper game. Thanks for tuning into this podcast. I'll catch you next time.